0: are young, we're terrible at everything. (laughs) We can't walk, we can't talk, we can't ride a bike. But as we grow older, we start to lose the boldness we have at being young, trying new stuff. We start to think that when we start something new, we should be good at it. And everybody is judging me for not being good at what I am doing. I'm sure when you started this podcast, there was probably a little bit of fear of what's my podcast going to look like? Are people actually going to like it? And what I have found is that the most important thing to do is to get in, start, try and fail and to be okay in that failure
1: microphone check one two what is this you're now listening to a brand new episode of the play big faster podcast look what you started talk to attorney high performance coach and speaker Cherie prince asks hard questions to really get to the bottom of what makes entrepreneurs tick from starting a business marketing strategies and the ins and outs of their industries we talk everything from book recommendations lifestyle hacks and everything possible to get you inspired and motivated to build your own business the play Big Faster Podcast starts now. Let's go.
2: Mike, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing?
0: Doing really. Thanks for having me.
2: Listen, we are so glad that you're taking a moment just to speak with us about who you are and who you serve. And you actually have a very special mission that's close to my heart as it relates mm-hmm. to affordable housing. What exactly does your company do?
0: Yeah, at a high level, we simply design, build, and rent apartments. But we're focused on driving down the cost of construction. Right now, we're already achieving about a 20 to 30% reduction in those costs. And someday, we believe we can achieve a 50% reduction. But imagine what that means. Someday, your rent could be half, or your mortgage payment could be half. So our dream long-term is really to solve America's housing affordability crisis.
2: And how long have you been in this industry?
0: My entire life. In fact, my parents started the business, and we, I grew up with it, with flattening nails and being out in sight. In fact, we lost everything growing up, and my dad was kidnapped in Peru. Crazy story. And eventually went off, and went off to college, and I wanted nothing to do with this family business. And the reason that was, is I didn't want people to think it was given to me. So I really wrestled with my own ego for quite a bit and eventually realized that deep down what I really wanted was to try to make some kind of meaningful, positive impact in the world. So why not jump into this and use this as a stepping stone to help make that kind of impact? Jumped on board and my dad and I doubled the size of the company in the first couple of years then my dad unexpectedly passed away. So overnight I lost my dad and I became CEO, but I didn't take the title for five years because I didn't feel like I had earned it yet. Uh, But since my dad's passing, it's been about a decade as well.
2: Let's go back to something that you said initially when you talked about lowering the cost of your rent. Now we know that after the onset of COVID, material supplies, they were all they were not only limited, but the cost went up. How did that affect your business model?
0: It was terrible initially. We'd have uh, lumber that went up 10 times in price. Steel went crazy. Shipping containers went from $2,000 to $20,000. was outrageous. And so, the thing I found though is that these big challenges when they hit they're actually huge opportunities because they really focus the mind on the problem that needs to be solved in that moment. So our team came together, we worked for solutions, and we ended up building an entire supply chain team. And now, as a result of getting through all of that, we now have supply chain infrastructure in place for all our major manufacturers across the world to bring those products here to our buildings. And we are better off today as a result of that painful, expensive moment back then. So in short, it was terrible. It was difficult to get through, but we're better because of it.
2: Even though you've been in this role for over a decade, what are some of the things that you can tell people who are looking to become residential real estate contractors or developers, if they're looking to do this as a career, what is some of the advice that you'd offer them just based on hindsight and the things that you've experienced?
0: Yeah, so it depends on which scale you're at. But if you're talking to someone new, looking to move into this space, I would say there's a lot to learn. And so one way to learn is to get into maybe buying a house that you rent out, right? You get to learn that experience of what it's like having to evict residents, all the maintenance and cleaning that go involved with that, how you deal with complaints. And you're starting to build a bit of a cash flow in doing that. Then maybe you grow that to a duplex or maybe a fourplex or like an eight or 10-unit building. And then you can start to build up this little mini empire in some sense of real estate assets. And then where you want to take it is thinking about how you drive down some of those costs. And so you could start experimenting. Do you actually want to build some properties so you could work to build a house? And to start there, you could be a general contractor, meaning that you hire all the different parts of the work out to different people who come do the work for you. And then you can grow from there, right? You start hiring your own teams, you start doing the different components and different pieces of work. This is a slow iterative process of learning and growing over time.
2: Now, if you had to name three pitfalls that possibly new developers fall into, what are some of the things that you can maybe just warn people about? Hey, don't do this because this isn't the way you want to go
0: okay so there's a a, quite a few of them (laughs) but one maybe early one i hear oftentimes is that people often say that's not my area of expertise i am not getting into that i'm not figuring that out someone else is going to do that there's wisdom in that because you need to know your limits but you pay for that and unless you're solving some meaningful part of the problem the total cost of what you're doing is going to be out of whack so you've got to get your hands dirty. You've got to be willing to learn, explore, dig deeper, and take on some of that pain because it's the only way you're going to find profit within that infrastructure. Another key one that I have learned is to hire the very best people. And so when, you, when I started out, I would focus on trying to reduce costs by hiring less expensive people. It sounds logical, Right. No, it was a total failure, in fact. But what most people fail to understand is that the best people outperform the average by two to five to even 10 times as much. And so if you recalibrate your thinking and realize you'll want to look at the cost per unit produced, if you do that, the best people outperform the outperforming so substantially that they are actually your least expensive people. And as you're trying to build up a culture and infrastructure, having those great people, they start unlocking doors. They make things happen for you you didn't know could happen. And as a result, it is such a powerful organization. And so what I often tell people, those who think they can't afford to hire the best, you can't afford Not to. And maybe the last thing is people are so afraid to try something new. When we are young, we're terrible at everything. (laughs) We can't walk. We can't talk. We can't ride a bike. But as we grow older, we start to lose the boldness we have at being young, trying new stuff. We start to think that when we start something new, we should be good at it. And everybody is judging me for not being good at what I am doing. I'm sure when you started this podcast, there was probably a little bit of fear of what's my podcast going to look like? Are people actually going to like it? And what I have found is that the most important thing to do is to get in, start, try and fail and to be okay in that failure. There's this interesting study that was done where they took people and broke them into two different groups. The first group was making individual clay pots to be the best that they could be. The second group was to make as many clay pots as they could. Well, they found that the first group, yeah, they made a nice clay pot, but honestly, the second group that had all the clay pots, just as fast and as many as they could, the last clay pots from that second group were far better than the perfected clay pot from the first group. My point being is to get in there, be okay in failure, be okay with the struggle. You got to bounce your head against the wall a few times, get some scrapes and bruises. But that is how you become amazing in any field.
2: Wow. And that is some amazing advice. Thank you so much. That was so good. Now, and I want to just unpack something else because you dropped a bomb on us in the very beginning. You said that Mm. your dad was kidnapped in Peru. Now you can't just skip right past that. What (laughs) happened?
0: Yeah, so my parents were very philanthropic. They were involved in in particular in Special Olympics. And it happened to be that in Minnesota one year, the Special Olympics were happening here. And they needed host families to host the parents of these kids who were coming all over the world to compete. One of these families coming here was from Peru. And they happened to stay with us. And my parents really hit it off with them and built a relationship over time. And then eventually, this Peruvian guy had this idea. See, in Peru at the time, they didn't have great public transportation. And if we could deliver buses from America down to Peru, they would operate these buses in Peru, and it could then generate some money as well and pay back to pay off those buses. And so that sounded great. They started it, brought the buses down, money was flowing. But within a few months, the payments stopped coming. And my dad started flying down to Peru on a regular basis because he didn't have much to even afford these buses to begin with. And going down to Peru, one of those trips, he was walking along the beach. And some guy came up to him and started shaking him and saying, hey, you're from America, right? Tell me, what was America all about? And he thought this was weird, told the guy, and the guy ran off. A few moments later, three there's four uniformed police officers show up and say that guy that you were just talking to, he's a known drug dealer, and now we need to bring you down to the office to question you. He starts walking with them back to the car. He is a small vehicle. He sits in the middle back seat, and there's two people on the other side of him and two in the front seats as well. As they're starting to drive, they start heading to the bad part of town that he knew he should not go. They start questioning him and asking him if they got money. He starts realizing these are not real police officers. Something is seriously wrong. He shows them that he has no money on him, And he starts formulating a plan. Down this main road, there's a few stoplights. And he thinks to himself, once this car starts slowing down to the next stoplight, once it gets down to just 15 miles an hour, I'm going to reach up, open a door, and let the momentum of the opening door swing and pull me out of this vehicle. And so he's watching the car go down, bottom road goes down to 15 miles an hour. He reaches up, grabs that door, swings open, pulls him out in the split second that the team, that the people don't have a chance to react, pulls him out of that car and has him. He starts running backwards down traffic. And so that's the moment he was kidnapped and narrowly escaped it through that escape.
2: Wow. And we usually don't have stories like this on the podcast. But I, yeah, I'm glad he's okay. Yeah.
0: Definitely
2: okay. And it sounds like you've learned so much from him just over time growing up in mm-hmm. the business. What would you say is the most fundamental piece of advice that he's given you that you've been able to implement in the business?
0: I remember one day when I was young, one of the buildings that we were building he walked me over to it and said, Mike, I want you to look at our building, but now turn around and look across the street. There's this other building. I said, okay, what's interesting about it? He said, the builders of that building went bankrupt. Oh, why was that? He said, Mike, because they weren't being thoughtful of the costs of the project that went into that. And his basic advice to me at that time was, if you just accept the what the easy answer is, what what the easy co- contractors are providing you, yeah, that sounds good, but your project is going to go bankrupt. You're going to fail. It said you need to be really thoughtful of every dollar that goes into a project, and that's the only way to really drive down the costs of these projects. And so that was one important lesson I er- learned early from him.
2: So. Do you have a mental checklist or even a written checklist when you're evaluating the cost of a project? What are some of the things that you take into account?:
0: Yeah, it's gotten more and more elaborate over the years. When you think about building a car, there's something like 30,000 components that go into that car, and you need to do to identify every single component and exactly when it's going to go in and the whole process behind that. It's a massive undertaking. Right now, the level that we're getting to is just shy of that. We're we're actually very close to that level where we know every screw that goes in the building. We know every stud, where it goes, how it's shaped, where it's placed in the entire facility, every single elbow, pipe, down to every little bit. Even down to labor hours, we start looking at every five hours, where is each team going to be in that building throughout the entire life of the project. By doing that, we can get really detailed about the costs of a project. So that's the level that we go to today. That's not the level we started with. And if you're just starting out, the way you can make a meaningful impact is just sweat equity. Maybe it's framing that you get out there and you just frame with a couple of friends the house that you're building up. You can find significant savings if you're willing to take the pain of getting out there, learning, trying, and failing a bunch on your own. Uh, but that doesn't work at scale, which is why you need these different kinds of techniques to drive down those costs.
2: But in addition to techniques, what sort of tools do you use in terms of software or even continuing education? If someone was looking to level up their game and they didn't know where to start, what would you recommend?
0: Yeah, Tom Brady said this. He said, if you want to perform at the highest level, you need to prepare at the highest level. You could not agree more with that. And if there's one guy that seemingly doesn't need to prepare at that kind of level, it'd be Tom Brady, the best football quarterback of all time, right? Arguably. But what's interesting... No. <laughs> I, love,
2: I said arguably, but no, oh. I love Tom
0: Brady. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Maybe you're Patrick Mahomes or somebody else. But what's interesting in his story is that he went from being a sixth-round draft pick he almost didn't make it. And then he was a third string quarterback. And the only reason he got to actually get on the field is because the guy who was really good got injured. But what made all the difference? He wasn't the fastest. He wasn't the strongest. He wasn't the most naturally gifted. But what separated him from the, if you watch the documentaries, it's really interesting. What separates him is the dedication to learn, grow, and improve. In fact, if you look at like Tiger Woods, there's a story of Tiger Woods late at night. In L.A., where he's doing this putt over and over again in the rain. And one of his friends comes up to him and says, Tiger, what are you doing? Why are you doing this putt so late at night in the rain? They go home, go rest. says, no. At some point in the PGA Tour, I'm going to be faced with this putt at night and in the rain, and I want to be ready. So if you want to be extraordinary, the first step to learning – honestly, it's not the tools. It's your mindset. Unless you've got the right mindset, you're not going to be successful to that kind of level. For me, this sounds crazy, but it's true. I spend about 20 hours a week just on learning. 20 hours every week. How do I do that? Podcasts, audio books, right? You can listen to the stuff while you're driving, while you're exercising. And then on top of that, after I get home, put the kids to bed, have dinner, While I'm watching dinner, I often watch documentaries, right? It's amazing how much you can learn through that. And then as I'm drifting off to sleep every night, I have my iPhone next to me and I watch YouTube videos and these, I watch lectures, right? From some of the top people in the world. If you want to learn something really powerful, there's probably a YouTube video that helps you, that teaches you on that. So that's how I get to so many hours, but there's other things that really take you a whole nother level. Cause I, on our podcast, We interview billionaires, like people that have truly changed the world. And there is a different level of thinking that these kind of people have. And the idea of your success comes from the people you have around you is 100% true because that thinking rubs off on you. Do you want to get into those kind of groups? One simple way to do that is masterminds. I'm a part of a number of different masterminds really specializing in particular skill sets and then I'm rubbing shoulders against with some of the greatest people in the world at that skill set. For example, I was on uh, ABC in Los Angeles just a couple of hours ago. <clears throat> I would not have ever been at that kind of level. Have I not been in a mastermind group that is pushing me to be at that kind of level? And the people in my group with that skill set are didn't They're the announcers that you see on TV on a regular basis, right? They really push me to be better at my own game. And so that would be another source I'd recommend as well.
2: So you mentioned that you have a podcast. What's the name of your podcast?
0: Yeah, it's called Zero to Unicorn. It's about the journey of small enterprises, small groups, growing to billion-dollar scale. And just incredible people all the way from the NFL to um, people who've elected, got presidents elected. Uh, One of my favorite guests, actually, though, was Michael Usland. He's the originator and the executive producer of Batman. Not only did he do the Batman, he did National Treasure, the Lego movie, the Joker movies. In fact, when I was on the phone with him to get him scheduled, he was on set filming the Joker movie, right? That kind of level. What was interesting when he was on with me, he said, Mike, I was able to scrape by, get a few investors together, and buy the movie rights to Batman. But no one believed this movie could actually be made. He said he spent 10 years, 10 years, having people slam the door in his face, say that there's no way Batman movies could be made, that this was just kid, child stuff. No one could make a dark and serious Batman movie. Ten years of people telling him to stop this craziness and give it up. But he didn't. And after those ten years, he was able to make those first Batman movies, which now obviously has become huge.
2: Obviously, yes.
0: <laughs> but it goes to show if you have a dream you believe in, don't give up on it after a month. Don't give up on it after six months or a year. It could take ten years of no before you get that
2: yes. You've spoken to us a lot about just how you got to where you are today. But what are some things that you do for balance and just to wind down when you're not working and learning and growing with your business?
0: Yeah, for me, I want to make some kind of meaningful, positive impact on the world. If you look at life, we only have about 5,000 weeks here to live on Earth. I don't want to waste the minutes I have here. So for me, I really try not to waste any single minute. But with that said, one of the biggest ways I wind down is simply my kids. I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old girl. They are amazing. I'm getting to spend time with them every day, especially after getting home. I come home at the same time every night. They know when I'm getting home. They know I'm putting them to bed. They know they get talk time with dad, and they ask me all these kinds of questions. And we get to tell them all crazy things. But that moment, I don't know, it's so special. One of the things my daughter is doing right now, she loves Super Mario Brothers. And so every Saturday morning now, she wakes me up, pulls me out of bed, and her and I just sit on the couch playing Super Mario Brothers before anyone else gets up in the house. Another kind of side fun thing is that she was really into YouTube. She wanted to start a YouTube channel. She's only five years old. So she kept pushing me and pushing me. And I said, okay, fine, we're doing a YouTube channel. So we started filming and now that's grown, but, um, but it's been a kind of interesting exercise because it's an interesting thing for her and I to do, but it's also growing. So it's having a positive impact on the rest of our business as well. One of our latest episodes is the idea was she wanted to give out candy to the neighborhood. We thought, why not do it in some kind of fun, crazy way? We got this construction company, right? We took one of our dump trucks, and filled it full of candy and it drove down the neighborhood Throwing out candy to the kids and we donated all the rest of the candy. It was so much fun having her brainstorm and come up with these crazy ideas for us to actually make it happen.
2: That is so great. So, Mike, if you can just leave us with one last thing. If you can tell our listeners one way that they can play big faster in life to accomplish their goals, what would you advise them?
0: Well, The number one most important lesson I've learned is to hire the best the best people. Hands down, that changes the game. But there's step two to that, which is about building a great culture. One thing I've learned is that if you just have people's hands, and what I mean by this is their willingness to go do a job, that's about it. They'll do what you tell them to. You're never going to create an amazing organization. What you need is their hearts. So to do that, you have to build a great culture. There's so many components to that, but I'll give you just a few. One is that you need to line up the person's genius to the role that they're performing. So you have to identify what that genius is, announce it, tell them, reinforce that in them, let the rest of the team know that genius, and then make sure that the role they're doing matches that genius. And what I've learned is that is a very nuanced thing. If Unless you're paying careful attention to it, you might think they're in the right spot, but just a little bit of a shift, you get so much more out of them as a result. Other things, orientation. I run every single orientation. And we've run a follow-up orientation. What that is all about is I want people to tell me every point in the orientation that I was an idiot and I screwed up and I told them the wrong thing. (laughs) because then I can identify what are the issues in our culture that I can work and go back and fix. Another piece of it is you need to know what that culture is. What is your purpose? What is your mission? What are your, your values? And those have to be simple and understood by all. But deeper than that, it has to be authentic to who you are as a leader. If it's not authentic to you, then it's never going to work because there's a little, subtle things that you do as a leader that you don't see that everyone else sees. And the only way you get those all aligned is if your values are authentic to you as a a leader, I could go on quite a bit about culture, but there is so much to that. You don't want to get that wrong and it changes the game if you get it right.
2: Mike, thank you so much for stopping by the play big faster podcast. If someone was interested in learning more about you or your company, how can they contact you or find out more about you?
0: Yeah. You can visit our website, norhart.com. That's N-O-R-H-A-R-T.com. And on there, you can click shows to see the variety of shows, including Zero to Unicorn. And we also have an investment opportunity for people interested in investing in what we're doing. You get a high interest rate for deposit or investing money between six and 24 months. That's also on our website.
2: Well, thank you so much. And for everyone out there, play big faster.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Want more entrepreneurial content? I like this. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes. I've already subscribed? I just clicked on it. Don't forget to like and leave a review. Share with a friend that needs this in their life. I think you need this more than I. Oh, and make sure to follow Cherie on IG at Cherie Speaks. And remember to play big faster.